wombly sort of a feeling. So, I always remind myself of, of that idea. Yes, God is Father, but God's compassionate, and that compassion comes from His, his womb. To be a good father, we have to learn to be a good mother. That's pretty powerful, don't you think so? And that runs right through the, through the minor prophets. Well, I want to thank uh, God for our young people. Um, thank God for opportunities that God is giving us to serve in the prisons. I think I would encourage you all to get involved because think about it. You know, people are in prisons for whatever reasons, but these are fathers. These are mothers. And we need to share with them the love of Jesus. So, so get involved. Get in touch with Emily. Get in touch with Gina Choi and, and others um, so that we, we get involved with fathers and mothers and pray for them. Spend time with them in, in prayer. Um, and I think that's what the ministry of the church um, should be all about. On a lighter note... There is lots of stuff that's happening in the world. You know, for those of you who are not following what's going on, there is a game called cricket, and there is something called the World Cup cricket that's going on. So part of me wants to be listening to that game because India is playing Pakistan, and India scored 365 runs. That's pretty good. And now Pakistan is playing. Do you know what's the score, Joe? No, you're not following? No cricket? That's so sad. <laughs> um, I don't know what the score is. Um, I'm happy that they're playing cricket. Instead of, you know, nuclear bombs and shooting each other and killing each other, go play cricket. And um, someone's going to win, but at least people will be rejoicing. Uh, and then our women's soccer team will be playing um, Chile just about now. Oh, it's going on. <laughs> so don't look at the scores. It's probably 13-0 already. Isn't that interesting? You know, men don't score a goal and they, pay, they get paid millions of dollars. Whereas women score 13 goals and everyone says, why did you score 13 goals? You mean you rejoiced after you scored a goal? That's nonsense. You score a goal and just smile and go away like this. Don't you think it's horrible? So I don't know what the score is, but they're playing Chile. Um, and I like the women's soccer team. Our women's soccer team is, is pretty good. We need to be praying about a lot of things that are happening in our lives. And um, um, I know um, 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 one among us, Olga, will be leaving for Russia on Thursday. And this is going to be an important mission because there's a lot of question mark as to whether she'll be able to get her visa to return back to us. So would you pray that God would give her grace as she goes and as she meets with those officials? Because you know how it is, you know, those officials, it's in their hands. And sometimes they just have bad breakfast or something like that. And that can change their minds, or they can have a good breakfast. So maybe our youth should go and give them pancakes so that uh, they'd be happy.
whatever it is, let's pray that Olga would, um, would, would be given in the grace, in the sight of, of God, of course, but in the sight of humanity as human beings that she'd be interacting with. And that'll be um, the following Mondays when you would be taking that big train to this big place. And uh, would you come forward and let's pray for you. Let's pray for you. Would you raise your hands, please, as I, as I pray for Olga? Our Lord, our God, we thank you that you have brought us here as immigrants. A lot of us have come through very, very difficult circumstances, O oh Lord, especially our parents who um, overcame so many obstacles. But you heard prayers, and you brought us here. And you're using us. So we pray for one of our own, Lord. We pray for Olga as she goes to, to Russia. I pray, we pray, that you would be with her parents who are worried as their daughter goes to Russia for this meeting. Oh, Lord, pray that you would give grace. Pray that she would be able to get her visa and the right papers and return back to be here with us, to serve you, to go into graduate school, and to serve you to be um, an amazing woman of God, a leader in, in music and in the leading of choirs. And may your name be glorified. So fill Olga with your Holy Spirit and prepare her, O oh Lord. And we pray for a special grace as she goes to Russia. May we hear the good news and rejoice in your answers to our prayers. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Yeah. God bless you. And we'll continue to pray for you all as parents. I know it's so hard, so, so very hard. You know, our kids grow up and they, be, they, they become teenagers, go to college and, and then graduate from college and you think they're all grown up, but they're still your kids. They're still your kids. And so that's hard. That's hard for parents, hard for fathers and mothers. And so it's good that we celebrate Father's Day and Mother's Day because our parents will always be our parents. So God bless you as you go. We are going into uh, the book of Acts. We are delving into the book of Acts. One of the things that I'd like us to do is to, as we go through this book of Acts, uh, I want us to go through something that's called an appreciative inquiry. An appreciative inquiry. So look at these. It's, it's four Ds to this appreciative inquiry. The first one is discover. Discover who we are. I know that we are preparing for this new person called the new pastor that will be coming, and I'm told that the search committee is working really, really hard. They're working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, or something like that, I've been told. Um, so uh, there is going to be a new pastor, and as we, as we prepare for this new pastor, we want to, 
We want to know who we are. We want to discover our strengths. We want to discover where did we come from? How was that original idea of Redeemer life placed in the hearts and minds of, of people who prayed together? And so who, who are we and who am I in the, in the midst of this, this community? So that's the first D in this thing that's called an appreciative inquiry. The second D is called dreaming. So we dream of where do we want to be? Who do we want to be as a community? As we hand over this, this body of people who are seeking God's mind, what do we dream to be in the next two years, in the next five years, in the next ten years? And, and who am I as a part of this community? So we together do this uh, as a community, as Redeemer Life. Uh, the third part is called coming up with ideas. What do we want to be? We, we want to become something that we prayerfully dream about and design, come up with ways to where do we want to go as a congregation. And so those are some of the things that we want to do as we go through the book of Acts. Because remember, it was a small community that came together. But they, they designed, and they prayerfully designed, and then they knew their destiny. So the first one is discovering, discovering who we are. Secondly, dream about what we want to be. Thirdly, we design how do we become what God wants us to become. And then the fourth thing is where do we ultimately want to be? We want, want the kingdom of God to come to Vernon Hills. The kingdom of God to come to, to, to Libertyville, to Chicago, uh, to the prisons, wherever God takes us to be. And we have three mission um, um, uh, um, opportunities that were laid before us last week. There was, uh, we, we talked about uh, the, the, the day of ascension of the Lord where, where, where the Lord looked at, at his disciples who were really dejected and they, were, they, were, they didn't know what was going to happen. So, so Jesus says to them as he, as he rises up, he says to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power, dynamis, like dynamite. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So that is the responsibility that Joe Thomas has taken control of as he is directing that mission emphasis. How are we to be a witness here in our Jerusalem? And then the next mission emphasis is Judea and Samaria, and that's a responsibility that's been given to Gina Choi as we go into the dealing with refugees, dealing with people who are in prisons, dealing with people who are homeless. You know, we'll be going into Acts chapter 3, and so often I'm reminded that Jesus always went to the homeless, to the handicapped people. And so on and so forth. So there's Jerusalem and there's Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. That is the third missions emphasis of Redeemer Life where Brian Woods will be talking about how are we going to support things that are happening in, in Colombia and in France and in Mexico and in India. 
so that we see God's purposes fulfilled through us. So I would encourage us all to prayerfully get involved in those three aspects, which of course then again would answer those four questions. Discover where we are today. Dream about what do we want to become in all of those three missions emphasis, and then design, come up with strategies to go where God wants us to go, to become what God wants us to become, so that the kingdom of God would descend among us. So I would encourage you all, I would encourage us as a whole community to get involved, get deeply involved in these three aspects. Last week, of course, we, we dived into um, Acts chapter 2, which of course followed Acts chapter, Acts chapter 1, where we talked about the ascension of Jesus. Acts chapter 2 was that time when the people were expecting God to do something great and the Holy Spirit descended upon them. So you remember that? And, and as, as, as the Spirit of God descended upon them, they were discovering who, were they, who they were becoming. The early church discovered who they were becoming, depended on, on what happened in the past. In Exodus chapter 19 and 20, there was thunder and lightning, and the Spirit of God descended and said to the community that you will be a kingdom of priests. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2 as well. And then, of course, they dreamed about what were God's prophecy. And we reflected a little bit from Joel chapter 2 about God's promise that became a reality for them. And then they designed. How did they design? We reflected a little bit on that. If you, if you look at Acts chapter 2 and, um, and look at what they were doing, you find them... Um, Coming together, it says in verse 41, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, that, that those who received the word were baptized and they were added to that them that day about 3,000 people. And they devoted themselves to four things. One is the apostles' teaching, which is important, the teaching of the word of God. That's what we do in small groups. In the life groups, you devoted themselves to the, the teaching of the Word of God. Secondly, to koinonia, fellowship with each other, which is something that we do really well together, right? Rima life is known for fellowship, community development. And the third thing is the breaking of bread, which is eating, and we do that very well together. Right? Just join the singles. If, if you don't know how to eat, just join the singles groups because that's what I do also. You know, I, I go with them and they know what to eat. They know where to eat, what to eat, how to eat, and I love it. So, um, breaking of bread, but right in the middle of the breaking of bread is something called a communion. Where you remember the Lord. You know, we, we, pay, we pay very scant attention to this thing that's called Holy Communion because we are bought into the history of the church and we think, oh no, it should happen only once a month or maybe it should happen only once a year. It depends on different churches. But it should happen every day. Have communion in your homes when you're breaking bread. But you say... 
Jesus said, this is my body. Have it with your kids. That's okay. We have bought into the church system where we are told that only when the priest blesses this does it become communion. Otherwise, it's not communion. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. When they came together to break bread, they had communion in homes, different homes. It was led by people, common people. That's what they did in the early church. And the fourth thing is they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed because they knew that their destiny will come from this connection that you have with God. And those four things become the pattern. So let's look at what happens next after that. We come to Acts chapter 3 where the rubber meets the road, now that you've gone to the mountaintop experience, you've reached uh, Exodus chapter 19 and 20, and there's thunder and there's lightning, and God gives, gives, the, uh, gives the word. So uh, it's okay if we remain seated uh, and, and read this together, may we? One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at three in the afternoon, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as he did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. It's actually rise up and walk. He helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy One and Righteous One and asked what a murderer must be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can see. 
Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what had foretold through all the prophets, saying that this Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes from God to restore everything. So he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel and all the prophets who have spoken and foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Amen. What a powerful passage here, isn't it? It's, it's something um, I wish I could take you to. Because when I go to India, on the banks of this river called Yamuna and Ganges, where the Buddha preached and, and Mahavira and all those leaders of these religions, I see hundreds and hundreds of villagers coming. And, 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 and these are villagers to whom horrible things have been done by high caste people. They're coming expecting God to do something. And God does amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. Amazing healings take place where the lame are healed, where people who are just so much under the control of demonic forces are set free. And they say, I praise the name of Jesus. I wish I could take you to some of these places because the same things that are happening here in Acts chapter 3 are happening in other parts of the world as well. And my prayer is that we would soak that in. It is the same Holy Spirit that's doing stuff there, that can do stuff among us. So Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. You know, one of the first lessons it seems to me that, that we need to learn from this is that the early church did stuff just like Jesus. They did not remove themselves from the context. It's in the context that God does stuff that is beyond our wildest imagination. But they did not remove themselves from the context. They did stuff in the temple. You know, my name is Johnson, right? Why is it Johnson? Because my grandfather, who was a low caste person, decided to change it to Johnson. When he became a follower of Jesus, he did not want to stick with that low caste name that he had. That removes you from the context. I'm no longer Nanjundaya. 
I'm a Johnson. That's what missionaries did. And I think that was a wrong thing. When people became followers of Jesus, they were just taken into this thing called the mission compound so that they would be protected. And the idea was they'd be trained and given Bible lessons and so on and so forth. But you're removed from the context. But that's not how the early church did it. They went into the temple time and time again because they expected the same Holy Spirit that did stuff in Acts chapter 2 to do stuff right through where they are. And one of the things that I've seen as I go back to India and as I go back to some of the other parts of the world, you find people who are Muslims, they believe in Jesus. I, I, I spent a lot of time this last time with uh, an imam who's the leader of one of the largest mosques in Allahabad that I go to. Allahabad means the, the city of Allah, uh, which of course the Hindu government is changing the name of this place. One of the largest mosques there, and I'm talking to this man, and he says, I was reading the Quran, and I found Jesus. So every Friday, he is in the mosque. He's preaching from the Quran. And he's talking about Jesus. Hundreds of people are following Jesus. Right there in their context. And I'd say, you be blessed by God, man. I don't want to remove you from where you are. This same Jesus that did stuff those 2,000 years ago is using you today, right there in the mosque. Who am I to say, no, 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 you can't do that. Come join the church. So there's Muslim background believers in Jesus. There's Hindu background believers in Jesus. There's Buddhist background believers in Jesus. I wish I could take you there where you see hundreds and hundreds of people. Why? Because God always does stuff within the context. God always does stuff within the context. When we remove people from the context, then we do disservice to evangelism and to the power of the gospel because God can do stuff. So Peter and John's they go to the temple. They go to the temple at the hour of prayer. You know, that's another thing. There is in, in, in ancient Jewish culture and in, in, in ancient um, Jewish thought, there were specific times of prayer where people would know that we all come together. And, and they would come together five times a day for prayer. There were specific times of prayer. I, I, I used to teach, before I started teaching at North Park, I used to teach at this place called College of DuPage. College of DuPage is a huge, huge junior college. You go into every corner and I would see a group of 15 students, 20 students talking in Bosnian language. I would just go to another place and there's a group of about 20 students talking in Russian and I go to another corner there and there's a group of students talking in Korean, another group of students talking in Chinese. It's a fascinating place. And my classes were usually in the evening but at 8 o'clock I had to give students a break. 
it used to go from, I think, about 6 o'clock till about 10 o'clock, but 8 o'clock was the break time. Do you know who decided what the break time would be? It's the Muslim students. Because they will all get up and they'll go into the specific room that the College of DuPage had set aside for them and they will all go for prayer. While the rest of my students were going outside and going for a smoke or something like that, his this group of students are going for prayer. I wish we would do that. What a witness, isn't it? At 8 o'clock, I'm going to go there into that room and I'm going to call on this, the name of this God and say, Spirit of God, descend among us. If only we would do that. We are so scared to be Christians. In restaurants, when we go and we pray, we go, Amen. And then we would start eating. Well, why don't we proclaim the name of the Lord? This time when I was in India, there was a chief minister who's been elected in a state called Andhra Pradesh. His name is Jagmohan Reddy. And this chief minister, that's okay, that's okay. It's good to have babies praising the name of the Lord. Of course, I say, you know, my dog starts barking and, and I say to my daughter, that's okay. The dog is just saying, hello, hello, neighbors. Welcome to our house or something like that. I don't I have those kinds of interpretations. So that, that's good. It's okay for kids to, kids to rejoice. Um, so we were talking about Jagmohan Reddy. Jagmohan Reddy is a profound believer in Jesus. In this country where there's been a sweeping election for a right-wing fundamentalist government, in this one state called Andhra Pradesh, they have elected a Christian, a profound believer in Jesus. And of course, he's elected by everybody. They are Muslims, they are Hindus, they are Buddhists who elected him. And he has to go into all sorts of places. He has to go into a Hindu temple. He has to go into a mosque. He has to go all over. So the Christian said, how could you go there? You're a Christian. And he says, I go there and talk about my faith in Jesus. I go into the Hindu temple and talk about Jesus. I go into the mosque and I talk about Jesus. Do you do that? God has given me this immense, immense burden on my shoulders to be Jesus as the chief minister of a Hindu country in one of the largest states. This is God's blessing. I have to be a witness. That's what Peter and John were doing. They went in there at this specific time of prayer. But as they go in there, they go to this place that's called Beautiful. It's still there. You know, I wish I could take you to, to Jerusalem as well because we can go to those places and we can talk about, this is where the lame man was sitting. This is where he was sitting. It's called Jaffa Gate. It's called Jaffa Gate and it's, it's the gate that goes towards, um, uh, towards the, the sea. If you take that road that heads out of Jaffa Gate, 
you're heading towards that place that Jonah was going to. Remember, he went to Yafo, the, the port city there, because it's heading towards the west. And, and of course, if you, if you go there, uh, it's, it's a lot of miles. It's, 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 it, there is now, now a straight highway that goes to, all the way to Tel Aviv, and, and Jaffa is just north of Tel Aviv. And, and he's sitting there. He's sitting there. Why? Because that's where all the poor people sit. That's where all the handicapped people sit. That's where all the homeless people sit. And, and they're not allowed to go into the temple because the rabbis say, you're handicapped. You're blind. You're lame. There's something wrong about you. You cannot enter into the temple. So all you do is sit there. And everyone will go by them. And of course they'll walk over to the other side because they will be desecrated. If they give them arms, they'll throw their arms at them and say, here, this is for you, you despicable person. You are there because you must have done something in your life or in the last life. But that's not what Peter and John do. That's the beautiful thing about the early church, right? They go to him. And it says Peter and John gaze at him. Look him in the eyes. There's something about looking people in the eyes. You know, in Eastern society, you're not supposed to be doing that. I mean, little kids are told... You know, if a little kid is looking at the father or the mother, talking about Father's Day, a little kid is never supposed to be looking at the father in the eyes because that is dishonoring the father. And so, of course, a little kid, whether it be a girl or a boy, is always told, you don't look people in the eyes. I remember in the slum where I was where um, the, 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 the woman... Who, who stayed in the next hut will come to us little kids and she always has her face covered and she would say, oh, would you tell Papu's father that dinner is ready and would you tell Papu's grandfather, she'll never use the name obviously because she can't use the name of her husband and she can't use the name of her father-in-law but she says, would you tell them and she's got her face covered and we would say, yes, yes, we will go and tell them. So that's what we would do. Papu and I will go and tell the gentleman that dinner is ready. You king, you go there. And of course, will the wife eat? She'll never eat. But she's not supposed to be looking people in the eyes. There's something about looking people in the eyes. Because you give the person dignity. You give the person worth. You understand them. You feel for them. You absorb their pains. That's what Peter and John were doing. And that's the way to reach out to the world. We have to gaze at the pains of the world. Look into their eyes and say, I know. And I absorb those pains. Only that is the way of bringing about evangelism and salvation. Unless you and I are able to look people in the eyes, this whole business about just giving money and throwing it at people is not going to take us anywhere. 
you know, what does, um, what, what does the man do? He, he is looking at them and he, he thinks that there's gonna, they're going to give him alms. That's what he is hoping. I think one of the other lies we as the church have gotten into is this whole idea of let's give money to missions. Giving money to missions doesn't get you anywhere because you don't get involved in the pains of the people looking them in the eyes. I've seen, unfortunately, a lot of bad things in India. And I'm sorry to share some of this stuff with you, but I do need to, right? Um, I've, I've been to these big galas where people organize galas, dinners for, oh, we have missionaries in India, and look at this, we've got a thousand missionaries. They're going to the thousand villages. I've gone and spoken to those people there. And do you know what did they tell me? that these missionary organizations give them nothing more than $15 to about $25 a month for all the money they raise here in the United States. And here's this person, he's got five kids. His kids are not, they don't have anything to eat, they're starving. And we are so happy that we've given money. That is not the way in which missions works. They gazed into the eyes. And, and look, at, look, at, look at what he says to them. He gazed into the eyes and he says, I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold. That's not what missions is all about. But what do I have? I have Jesus. Because money is power, right? Why do we want to give money? Because we want control. Why do people go into mission field with money and give them $25 or $20 per month? Because they want to control the people. Peter and John say, no, I don't have that. I don't want that. But do you know what I have? I have Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's what the world needs to see. They need to discover that we are a group of people who don't depend on silver and gold, but we depend on just the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Becky was sharing about her vocation. In our own vocation, you know how she's able to, to, to spend time with these people that come to her and, and she tells them about what Jesus has done in her life. It just takes that. You don't need to know the whole Bible. You just need to say, Jesus has done this for me. He has healed me in this. And give people Jesus. And let Jesus do his thing. Discovering who we are in Jesus. Designing who we are in Jesus. And let the kingdom of God come among us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, as we reflect on your word, we pray that you would indeed, 
Enable us to be like the early church. Enable us to be like Peter and John. Enable us to be like Jesus. We've, we've come so far away, O oh Lord, with our own strategies and goals. and We're so dependent on economics and, and all that. Oh Lord, we want Jesus. So fill us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit as we go into the world that we may give the name of Jesus so that we may see amazing things happen in our midst just like it happened in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. So fill us with your presence. Oh, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.